You listen to 247 Real Talk. This is your host, Julian Perry. And for this episode, I'll be sharing my rant on the pandemic and our return to the so-called normal. I'll be right back. So good evening to all my listeners. Welcome to 247 Real Talk. I just felt the need to record this impromptu, unplanned episode on the pandemic because I have a lot of strong feelings and thoughts about it as we go through this process of returning to normal. I felt it necessary to share it because I feel as I speak with others that they share the same feelings I have. And I think it's important to get this message out to anyone who will listen and hopefully every listener and everyone my supporters who hears this episode will share this thing and make it viral if this is the only episode of 247 real talk you do this so here i go my first thought is on the origin of the pandemic not so much um what they proved the origin to be but the fact is that There are so many possibilities out there. Is it something that accidentally leaked somewhere? Is it something that was uh, created as unknowingly as a part of some experiment and um, therefore, you know, it was a result of that experiment or was it something that was purposely done? Now, I'm not giving you conspiracy theories here. These are just my thoughts because we still have so many unknowns. But what is really getting to me here is how the whole return to normal is being handled and why. I think the prior to this, the pandemic before this was, uh, what, 1918? And I think we've been, you know, gone to sleep and we were in this, this dream that, you know, we, we just went through a pandemic and the next one is not likely to occur for the next hundred years or something like that. But I think we're very wrong. I think that society has changed or every society has changed. I think obviously technology has moved forward. The wars of the past and the wars of now, you know, we use different types of weapons. And the bottom line here is I think that irrespective of how safe we feel or we want to feel, we're more vulnerable than we've ever been. Think about it for a second. I'm here in the United States. There are millions of deaths across the world, and there's almost, we haven't hit it yet, but almost 600,000 deaths in the United States alone. Now, someone quoted me a number of uh, approximately 61,000 deaths for an entire flu season each year as the average. So think about that. We're almost, we're at least, what, nine times or more the deaths that the flu causes. And I'm saying to myself, what did we learn? We are, you know, or, or let me change my thoughts here and say, I heard about a few companies and a few entities that looked at the pandemic from a different perspective. They challenged themselves to find a way to survive. 
And in doing so during the pandemic, they forged a new way for the future that not only accommodates the pandemic, but is almost future proof in the sense that should this reoccur, they have a viable business. They have a, a new plan. And, and, and so what, what is really bothering me and, and caused me to really, you know, record this episode is because businesses and governments all over and state governments and lo- all, you know, all these entities are all pushing many of their staff back to work in the same buildings that people contracted COVID in from each other. Mind you, yes, they have plans to, some of them have hybrid plans so that, you know, they can keep the, the numbers at least, you know, less. Um, and then some of them have um, plans to return to complete normal. Now, for me, I have to be honest with you, as I go through the phase of returning to work, I'm somewhat petrified. Because one of the things we know about viruses in general is they have an incubation period. The other thing we know that certain viruses live on surfaces. So even if I'm working in a, in, in a location where the day I'm in is only 50% and then the day I'm off, there's a different 50% that goes back, the likelihood that for the incubation period that we touch the same surfaces, that's very likely. People have resisted wearing masks. Some people have come up with this theory that the masks are ineffective. They don't do anything. Yeah, I'm not a scientist. But a few days ago, I took my kid to the doctor, and, and one of the nurses there said something that was, was pretty ordinary but pretty significant. They said, you know, the statistic they heard was during the pandemic or, or during the flu season, which was, you know, in parallel with the pandemic, there were only 2,000 recorded cases of the flu. And they said to me, you know, one of the reasons that happened is because we had the pandemic, and by the time the flu season ramped up, everyone was wearing a mask. People say it doesn't work. I tend to think that to a certain extent, even if it's not 100% foolproof, you know, if you sneeze out in the air, in open air, yes, that's germs everywhere. If you sneeze in a mask, maybe, even if it's not the N95, maybe some of that germ doesn't, you know, disperse as, as, as strong and as, as, you know, as violently and, and have the radius that it would without it. My point is that I don't see any clear, safe way, truly safe way that anyone can tell me it's okay for us to return to the norm. And in a previous episode, I talked about the norm. What is the norm? We've learned that the way we were living, the way we were working, made us completely susceptible to something like a pandemic spreading. We've learned that whatever the origin, it did spread. So whether we have another pandemic that comes from the exact same origin, whatever that is, uh, accidentally let's call it, or we have one that comes from a purposeful action, we're going back to the same vulnerability that pre-existed COVID. In short order, I promise you that if we, as we go back to work, if, we, if nothing happens and things are uneventful, the subways are going to be packed again, jam-packed at the rush hour where people are basically not just touching each other, rammed against each other, standing, sitting. 
the streets will be packed. Every location that was a vulnerable location will be back to what we want to call the norm. And, and you know, that's really contradictory to who we are as human beings. When we look at, you know, people building, you know, people or, or the space station and people who, have, who are building currently rockets to take passengers to the, to the to outer space and all these things, those people have gone to that cutting edge because they are used to thinking outside the box, their future thinking. Why would we want to return to a norm instead of saying, let's look to the future? There are a few businesses out there that have gone totally remote. They have a data center somewhere. They have people who go in to do their tasks and leave. But the majority of people are working remotely. And I'm going to address the remote situation in a moment. But the first part I want to stay on is this return to work part in the, as we call it, the norm. You know, someone mentioned to me, says, you know, there are so many buildings out there that, you know, large buildings, especially in a place like New York City, where if people went, or so many companies went remote, then we would have a situation where those buildings would be empty and revenue would be lost and therefore tax money would be lost. So I thought about this for a second. And when they first said to me, I said, oh, I, can, I understand what they're doing. But then I thought about it in a deeper context. So what are you telling me here? You're telling me that if people don't return to work, then you know, companies and business, whomever will not renew leases in buildings. And those, you know, the result of those empty buildings may result in you know, landlords or whatever being unable to pay their taxes. And then the city would suffer because less revenue. Is that a viable argument? Is that a truthful argument? It may be. I, I don't know the economics of it all. But what we're also saying in, in that same statement is, well, since that's going to happen, we don't want landlords to lose tenants. We don't want to put million, millionaire and billionaire landlords into, in, into the inconvenience of, of not only having to pay taxes on empty buildings, but maybe being forced to think outside the box and find new visions for their buildings and new uses for them. The easier way out is just ram the people back in and sacrifice the people. Here, there's the people born every day. Who cares if people die every day? This is what it feels like. Because I can think, I mean, again, I don't have answers to these things. I'm just putting it my thoughts out there because, you know, maybe building, the, so, so what I heard was that there are people who want to go back to work. And I'm going to address that too. So let's just call it for now people who want to go back to work. And those people who want to go back to work, um, I suspect there's some situation at home whether it be they're alone and they like the social aspect or there's in some situations, unfortunately, people are facing certain amounts of abuse and then that's their escape. There's all lot of scenarios. Maybe going to work is what keeps them going and keeps them alive. So then maybe we take some of those buildings, we create pods. Um, we're able to smaller areas that we're able to control the, the ventilation, all these things better. And we make those an option for people who want to return to work 
making full uh, declaration of the risks that they choose to take with their lives. Because we're not all the same. I'm sure, as I said, I'm, I'm very sure without knowing the numbers that they're, you know, in a place like New York where there's how many millions of people, there's probably, you know, a, a, a percentage that, that is equal to millions that don't want to return, that, that do want to return to work, that need to be around people and socialize and go to the coffee shop and do all these things. And you know what? I'm not here to take away what makes you happy. But then does that supersede I, what I would believe would be a larger percentage that don't want to return to the way things were? I mean, think about it for a second. For someone like myself, my social circle, the people that I look forward to being social with are my friends. In some cases, there's an overlap where people I work with are also personal friends. But in that case, I can see them outside of the office, at their home, at my home, you know, or wherever we choose that is a safe place to be. And, and that's a larger conversation as what the future looks as safe place to be. But my point is, challenge the billion dollar and millionaire, you know, billionaire and millionaire landlords who have all these resources to think outside the box and come up with new ways to utilize their spaces, whether it's living quarters, um, whether they fancy up their buildings where they do a bit of renovation so each apartment comes with a private office and blah, 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 so that people who work from home can have isolation if they have families to still do their work, etc. Um, you know, wire all the buildings with video you know, conferencing capabilities and offer it as part of the, 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 the attractiveness of, of renting the apartment. Um, rent, obviously, if, if, if enough companies go remote and it becomes a huge thing, then there'll be a need for more data centers and more resources uh, uh, um, that are put towards creating you know, more robust networks. There's a lot of things. I, I don't know what the scope is, but we are where we are. We, are, we have a space station that, that floats how many million miles or whatever above the earth with people living on it because someone thought outside the box. We have electric cars that are becoming more and more prevalent because someone thought outside the box. We have private companies like, you know, people like Elon Musk and these people and uh, Branson, Richard Branson, who are doing space travel and creating their own space aircraft because they're thinking outside of the box. I don't know how everyone feels about this, and I'm, I'm hoping that people do give me their feedback, not in an argument, I don't create arguments, but give me their feedback and their thoughts on this episode because it is real. I have a big concern that when you pack us back and we get this sense, false sense of security again, and we're all jumping on the trains and we're jumping on the railroads and we're going to work and we're packing our buildings, that the next time this happens, and I think it's not going to be 100 years, then we lose even more lives. And I got to be honest with you. I don't know how many of you paid attention or, you know, sometimes we get numb um, and we get desensitized in, in traumatic experiences. But if you now go back and reflect in the numbers, we lost a lot of lives. Even right here in New York City, I remember the days at the peak of the pandemic when there were eight or 900 deaths a day. You have complete generations of families that were wiped out. You have children left without parents. There's so many stories of the mother and the father dying, you know, within days of each other. You have people who had pre-existing conditions who dropped dead. You have young people who actually didn't even show pre-existing um, conditions who dropped dead. So many lives were snuffed out because we are arrogant enough to not accept our vulnerability. And the thing about it is, 
you, you have to look at what's even going on right now and, and consider this. We just had a pipeline, a, a gas pipeline, the company that was hacked. We had a meatpacking company that was hacked. There's advancements in, 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 in the kind of warfare that's going on today that supersedes anything that happened in the past. And what people can do in anger or in hatred today is so much more powerful and so much more capable than what they did in the past. Yet all these people for political reasons and monetary reasons are looking to return to normal. I got news for all these people. My normal, at least for me personally, and I would have to believe the entire world, the, the normal has changed. The new normal should look nothing like the old normal. And, we, and, and, and in an, you know, the other thing is in an effort to create a better world, you know, we're always talking about making things better for humankind. But do these people who, are, who control the wealth of the world, do they really mean it? I mean, as I reflect on the last year and what do I want to say, year and three months that I have been working remotely, I have given more time to my job than I did when I went to the office. And it is a fact that for many companies, I don't know if all, but for many companies, productivity went up. It went down in the beginning because people had to get used to this new remote working in, in every way. And, and many companies didn't have systems and, and infrastructure in place to be able to immediately handle it. But over the last year and three months, they have built these infrastructures. They have built these systems. They've built these capabilities to work remotely. And now we're just going to pack them away and put them in a box and put them on the top shelf and go back to the way things were. And the thing about it is, in terms of spending more time, like I said, on my job, is because when I think back about before the pandemic and what may be my life to come when I go back to work, I used to wake up at 5 a.m. and would take a 6, I forgot what time it was training, but probably about a 6.20-something train. I'd be at work for 8 so think about that. I woke up at five. I got to work at eight. That's three hours. I'd leave work at four. I'd get home maybe by 6.30. Home, coming home was a little different. That's two and a half hours. So a minimum of five and a half hours every day commuting. In my current situation, in the remote situation, I get up. I may decide, you know, I'll take a shower then or I'll take a shower in between meetings or whatever. The point is you get up, you go to your computer, you start working. You're in the comfort of your own home so that you're, you, the environment, at least I know for myself and many people I speak to, the environment you create, you've created over this time is comfortable for you. It's easy for you to work in this environment. For those of us who can work from home, and don't get me wrong, there are a lot of our challenges. There, there, there are childcare challenges. There are a lot of things we have to work out. But my point is, we need to work them out. I'm talking about my story and I, and I share my story because I have many friends who, who share the same sentiments and the same experience that I have. I've been able to spend more time with my children. My children have been teleworking and that's another scenario I'll get into it in a second, but my children have been uh, teleschooling, I'm sorry, not teleworking, <laughs> I wish they were, they bring a salary, uh, teleschooling. But 
you know, it wasn't a situation, you know, it hasn't been a situation where, you know, I got to go pick them up for the childcare after, and then I got to drive home. And then, and then by the time we get home, you got to do homework. And it's now eight o'clock at night or nine o'clock at night. And I got to hustle to get them in bed and then get myself something to eat. And then, you know, spend five minutes, you know, if I'm lucky to speak, to say hello to my wife before we got to get to bed because you got to wake up five o'clock in the morning. That is not a way to live. And we were so conditioned to doing it every day in and day out that we, we it, it took this step back because of this forced situation because of the pandemic to for me at least to realize how horrible that actually is i mean what are we doing with life here i know there are a set of people who live to work i personally work to live i believe that's the way it should be I believe that companies and people and all the people we elect in politicians and all these things who think about quality of life or supposedly care about our lives should look at how much the quality of our lives increased in certain ways during the pandemic. It's a balance. I wish my, my job would say, look, as long as you meet these criteria, you can continue to work from home and, you know, and meet our productivity standards because it would make a great difference. I get to see my family more. I get to be around the people that mean the most to me more. And the people I socialize with, the weekend comes, evenings come. We have time to socialize because we're not busy spending three hours on the train. And, and, and then even look, in New York City, crime on the subways has gone out the roof. People are getting stabbed and shot just about every single day. And now we can be cramming so many more people back onto those trains. People like, you know, com um, companies or whatever, like the MTA are saying, oh, we're losing money in transit. You need to think outside the box. You need to figure out, and it's not all done by just increasing fares, because that can have a negative effect. It's about providing a different experience that works for people, better quality of life, and still allows you to maintain your, your transit infrastructure and make money. I don't have all the answers, but I'm very sure of one thing. God created us human beings as amazing creatures. I think our, 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 our thoughts and our, and our abilities are limitless if we choose to push ourselves and especially if we're honoring God by choosing to push ourselves in a direction that makes lives better, the lives of people he created. Selfishness has no place in a society or anywhere in this world where we are actually so helpless. And when I say helpless, we are helpless. Don't care what we want to say. You know, if, if the next pandemic came and there's a totally different, uh, obviously a different illness that, we had no vaccination for, think about what would happen again. Think about when this pandemic first started, people were getting sick and no one really recognized how many people it affected until it was too late. It took us, the, it, we were very slow to respond to it. We were very slow to immediately evacuate our buildings. And I understand that, that's not really a, a, a blameful thing. We were slow because 1918 was the last pandemic. We had no clue this was going to turn into a pandemic, but now we've learned. We've learned that somebody can do this spitefully or it can happen accidentally, but we cannot go back to putting ourselves in a vulnerable situation. People are, you know, have been crying for the longest miles that, you know, they want to stop wearing masks. 
I still don't understand what the big deal is about wearing a mask. I mean, and I, and don't get me wrong. Sometimes if I'm doing things and I'm in a hectic, I'm, I'm moving really fast, the mask feels restrictive in terms of my breathing. And I, I turn for a second and I pull that down below my nose. I hear a couple of deep breaths and I'm gone again. But when I return to or forced to return to work, I'll be wearing a mask. I can't honestly say that I'll be taking it off anytime soon. Will that become controversial? Well, it might become controversial if all my coworkers decide to ditch their masks and I'm still wearing And I've been vaccinated. Now, around my family and my immediate circle of friends who have all been vaccinated, we don't wear a mask. But I'm not taking the subway. I'm not taking the railroad. I'm not walking through buildings with confined spaces. I'm not walking through buildings with ventilation systems that haven't been, you know, have never been cleaned, really. They're just the filters change and may, and maybe, you know, just, a, just the ideal trap for something else to fester and grow. Why are we so bent on returning to the norm? And why are we so afraid to think outside the box? Why are we so afraid to say, even those who stand to lose money, Figure out a way together or we'll help you to find a way to not only survive, but to gain money, to become profitable again. There are some restaurants that, that you know, and this was really tough in the restaurants, but there are some of them who really, and I, and I heard this on the news, so it's not private information, who really turn things around in the sense that they moved to complete delivery business. And so many people were, you know, ordering at home because there wasn't the ability to go out that those who got ahead of the game couldn't keep up with it. They had to hire more drivers. They were getting, you know, more orders. And here's the thing here. Here's a benefit of it. People were spending more money. You know why? Because instead of buying a railroad ticket for $300 a month, they weren't traveling to work. They were not driving as much. They had more money to spend on those businesses, restaurants, et cetera, who offered the service to bring them their, the, the, the foods they enjoyed right to their doorstep. I'm a bit of a homebody, I have to admit. I, I work hard to, to, barely, you know, to, to barely be able to pay my mortgage, so I certainly don't, you know, I certainly like being in this place that I work so hard to try to maintain. And so, you know, going to a restaurant, going out to service is a nice thing. It's a nice once-in-a-while thing for me, Steve, but it's not a lifestyle for me. Maybe it is for some, but maybe if the restaurants all started to think out of the box and, and found different ways and, and different environments and different, you know, maybe you take your location and you have it, you use the government grants or whatever, you do some renovations where families can come together and, and have dinner in a restaurant, but, they're, you know, they, the the they're in rooms maybe that are transparent so they can see the other guests, but they're also, um, you know, sort of isolated germ-wise or whatever. I don't know. These are just ideas that are popping off the top of my head. But there's still so many benefits to working from home. For instance, I've watched my children who were doing okay in school. You know, they're doing pretty good in school. But all their reports now are excellent. Now, I've heard about children who've, who are suffering psychologically because they miss their friends and they don't have that social life. And yes, we have to think about the children and we have to find the right balance to give them that. And I think part of giving students that social life, again, 
should, you know, we should maybe look at the outdoors more, not the confined areas, not going back into that classroom and ramming kids into a class, but maybe figuring out something that's different. I know like places like New York, we have winter. So maybe we need to have more, take some of those, that real estate that we won't have employees in anymore. Maybe we turn them into large school gymnasiums and we create better filtration systems. I mean, there's so much opportunity here. Yes, you have to spend some money, but you spend money to make money. Now, when you, when I, when I'm, I as a business lease a space from you, it fits the new norm. But I go, you know, get, I digressed a bit to get back to my kids. I think one of the things that benefited them so much was I had the ability to look at their work, not come home seven, eight o'clock at night, help them with their homework as quick as I can. I'm tired. I got to wake up at five o'clock and I can't do due diligence as I should as a parent who's trying to have the best for their children. I was able to see where the weaknesses were. I was able to sit and see where, you know, one of them needed more, more time in reading and, and, and go on the internet and print out different stories and have them read and, and follow along with the class and, and go along with what they were learning. But they just, just, they just exploded their, their, you know, into their full potential. They went from, you know, um, good to exceeding in almost every category. I was able to make sure that they had, and, and I'm able to spend not just minutes, like I said, but, you know, if necessary, hours with them. I was able to, and, and, and while I was doing this, I was able to encourage them and support them and hug them. I was able to hear what was going on in the classroom from them teleworking. I was able to, 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 to give them advice when, you know, when other students said certain things. I was able to nip certain things in the bud because I was hearing what was going on right away and not finding out six months later that my child has been subjected to something. I'm better able to interact with the teachers because in order for, the, for this to be done, the teachers were forced to interact with us in, 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 in more than one way, through apps and, and actually you know, through the teleschooling and all of that. Are there downsides? Yes. I think that I need to take both of my kids to the eye doctor because I think there's a lot of time spent looking at the screen, that could be detrimental. So we find a balance. I don't know what that balance is again, but the only way we come up with a balance that really works for us all is if we start talking about it. Not just a bunch of people making arbitrary decisions and forcing those who have to work for a living and survive back into an environment that can be, can be more harmful than good, not only health-wise, but in terms of you know, any virus or any spreading of anything else, but mentally, for those of us who really don't want to go back to the way it was. And I'm saying that as a COVID survivor. So I'm not just speaking from, oh, I heard this and I fear. I'm speaking as, as someone who struggled to survive. It took me almost three and a half to four months to fully get over COVID. It was horrific. The worst, I've had surgery in my life, I've gone through um, bronchitis. I've gone through gastroenteritis. I've gone through chicken pox. I've gone, there was nothing compared to COVID to me. The, not only the, 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 the attack on your breathing, but the, the mental fear and the body aches that were horrendous. And, and, and you know, even past when the 106 and whatever fevers, nonstop fevers for seven days were gone, the effects, the taste, the smell. <clears throat> I mean, this went on for months. So I'm ranting <clears throat> on this episode. And actually, it sounds like I'm losing my voice while doing so. 
because I'm hoping that, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm hoping that all of my supporters, and I have a few thousand supporters, if you don't, if you've never done it before, <clears throat> I'm hoping that you listen to this episode and you, I'm asking you, I'm asking you just for this one episode at least to share it everywhere. Everywhere on your Facebook, your Instagram, wherever you can share it. Especially those who share my sentiments about this. <clears throat> I don't think that we are going on the right path of just, and, I, and don't get me wrong, again, I want people to survive financially. But we, we elect government officials that's supposed to be look, taking our best interests at heart. And it, I just feel like, like in any other case, in most cases, we just seem to be a pawn, or we just seem to be pawns in their political games. We just seem to be either pawns in the people who are playing monetary games to become you know, wealthier and wealthier every day, and those who are looking for political power and, and to maneuver and navigate to get their political careers where they want to. And so we're just pawns. Maybe give me the option of saying, I want to I wanna continue to work remotely. Okay, well, if you continue to work remotely, you need to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. <clears throat> you need to have a certain standard of internet connection in your home. You need to make sure, since obviously, since I'm not paying for transportation to go to work, the owner should be on me to make sure I have a good internet connection, I have certain equipment. I'll agree to that. X amount of check-ins a day, X amount of... Make sure you're at all your meetings, whatever the case may be. <clears throat> there are many of us like myself, many, and I'm a manager at, at my job. Many of us don't need to be at the office, believe it or not. This has proven that. Because most cases, you know, most managers, you're part of the decision-making body. And even the work that's not decision-making can all be done remotely. It's all shared by email. The, the, the meetings are all done by, by conference call, even sometimes when you're in the office many times. So all you're doing basically is dragging me through public transportation, dragging me back, costing me money to pay for a ticket to get, to get back to an environment I don't want to be in because you're refusing to find the balance between those who don't want to go back, those who do, and offer progressively offer remote access, which I think ultimately is going to be where we end up. And I say that because, again, I don't want to be Mr. Doomsday you know, caller, but the fact is that I don't think that because this, you know, most of us, unless you're, what would you need to be, 100 and something, 103 years old, whatever, or more, have, have seen a pandemic in their lifetime means that we're not going to see another one. The world has changed. We need to change. We need to understand that for the time we're on here on this earth, and it's, it's long, but it's short. We need to look at quality of life. This, this life that we have, this one-time life that we have, has to matter. It makes no sense that you put me in a situation where between getting up early and working and coming home late and missing my family, like passing like two ships in the night, I wait till I'm 62 to retire. At that point, I don't know who my kids really are. I've, I, I may have possibly destroyed my marriage or relationship because of, you know, all the things that deteriorate because of lack of ability to put the time in. And then now I'm 
62, and maybe if I'm lucky, I can retire at 62. Many people can't. And then what do you do after that? Then you just look at, I've spent all my life working, and then I get to enjoy a few years before I leave this earth. That makes no sense. I don't know who I have to get through to. Who is the, is the, 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 the person or what is the body of people that can, or, or does it take us as individuals, as ordinary people to, to bind together and start screaming and protest louder and louder, just as we've done for so many other things, to have someone, to have the powers that be hear us. We have to reinvent ourselves progressively to the next phase of what makes life better. We have to use a God-given talents to, th talents to think outside of the box. I know I haven't addressed a lot of things in this rant. Um, I've been trying to think of them as, a, you know, as, a, as I go along. I know there are a lot of challenges, but there are a lot of challenges regardless. I mean, do, do, we, do we just decide that because things are challenging, we don't do them? And, and, and again, as, you know, I remember now one, one point I also wanted to make about my kids. My kids, both kids when they were born, spent quite a bit of time in, in, in a hospital on a number of, of occasions because they went through respiratory illnesses. Um, for many years, they were on regiments of budesonine and albuterol because of um, asthma, asthma and then subsequent asthmatic um, bouts because of allergies and all that. They've had, you know, they're getting better, but they've gone through their challenges. So when COVID came about, yes, I yanked them out of school. They're still teleschooling. So think about this now. I am being forced back to work, but my kids are teleschooling, and they're not teleschooling by us being defiant. They're teleschooling because the, you know, the Board of Education has allowed that. And it seems to me that if you've allowed the children to teleschool through the end of the term, then you need to allow the parents to telework through the end of the term as an option. So you've already started returning to work while the kids are still teleschooling. I'm not putting my kids back into that experiment. Now, say experiment because when my kids' school opened up for you know, opt in to return to in-person school. Two weeks later, they shut down again because there were more than four cases of COVID within the first two weeks. I don't want, I've seen loss of life so much around me. I've driven by hospitals during the, the, the peak of the pandemic and seen the 18-wheeler or whatever your size you call them, refrigeration trucks, and it's been pointed out to me that those trucks were filled with bodies. I don't want to visit my child in any one of those trucks or any one of my children. So not only that can't they go back to school and they won't be going back to school, they'll be, they'll be teleschooling the next few weeks is the end of the semester, but I will not be sending them to summer camp either. First of all, summer camps only got to go ahead to go, you know, to go, ahead with their business, you know, pretty late this year. But I'm not comfortable enough as to where we are with the pandemic. We still don't have, you know, um, what they say, at least, I don't know what they call herd immunity, but herd immunity, I think, is 90% of the population fully vaccinated. I could be wrong. So I cannot risk sending my children who 
have respiratory illnesses out to, to summer camp. So who's going to keep them? What am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to send them as vulnerable children that they'll be safe until we're sure that it's, it's to some level safe? I mean, don't get me wrong. Come September, they have to go back to school. That will have me as a wreck as a parent. Because, again, with everything I'm saying about return to work, I think the same um, challenges follow schools. And, and so, again, we need to think outside the box as to how we keep our children safe. I'm a firm believer, even though life is not this always this way, I'm a firm believer that children should bury their parents and parents shouldn't bury their children. And knowing that my children have respiratory challenges, watching them helplessly lie in the hospital with IVs in their, in their arm, and I'm, I'm sitting there, I can't sleep. It's 20, 30 hours in an in a, in emergency room watching the oxygen meter, you know, struggling itself to... to, to like it's struggling its own to creep up only because my child's oxygen is not increasing. Doctors coming by and giving stronger medications with steroids to open up their lungs so that they can get back to a normal, you know, oxygen level. IVs in their hands. And I'll tell you something, when you put an IV in a child's hand like that and you have to put a mask on him, I'll, t I'll make it as graphic as you understand. What they had to do was I had to hold my child down they had to wrap my child in a blanket like you, would, like you would wrap a mummy so that he can't move. So basically think about this. You put your two hands at your side and then you're wrapped in a blanket over and over again so my child is immobile because at a child that age, and they were, you know, when this first started, they were much younger. They started, you know, they were pretty young. Um, you, 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 know, you can't get an IV, to, you can't get them to keep the IV in and, and not flex and flinch or pull it out unless you restrict their movements. As adults, think about lying in a hospital bed, which is not very comfortable, with a blanket wrapped around you so tight that you can't move your hands, and then a wooden splint on your hand so that you won't bend it at the elbow, and an IV in it, and a, and a mask over your, over your face and your hands, again, are tight so you can't remove the mask, but you're shaking your head because the mask at times, as we know, with the elastic and all that can become painful on your face. I had to watch my child go through this. Tears running down their face, crying out. And me as a parent, my heart broken as I tried to comfort them in, in any way possible. Telling them, you know, daddy is here, it's okay. While they suffer through and that eventually came through these respiratory challenges. I will not be sending my children to, 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 to summer camp. I can't send them, you know, in September, obviously, when I have to, you know, hopefully we have a better understanding of, of, of where things are at that point. But we still need to come up with better ways to take care of our people, human beings in general, and especially our children. So I don't know what other parents face, and I'm not here to judge anyone. I'm here to rant and to tell my story and for someone to listen to understand that this is an opportunity for us to make new changes, invent new ways, think outside the box and come up, use our brilliant minds to come up with ideas and ways that not only can be profitable for those who seek to be entrepreneurs and those who are business people, and, but also you know, have such an increase of quality of life. For us as human beings, that's why we're here. 
I think in many cases or in many situations, it seems like we've forgotten our purpose on earth. Lives are precious. We are born as children to hopefully enjoy our lives, to make the best of our lives. When you have someone that's calling the shots, and don't tell me, you know, some people will say, well, you know, you can always go off and do uh, your own business and do things on your own. Well, think about it for a second. That is very true. But that's not the world. Not everybody can have their own business. Somebody's got to work at the companies and the large companies that, that provide services for others and, every, and products for others and everything else. There's no such thing as an entire society of, of entrepreneurs. So while, you know, people will encourage you to step up on your own and create your own business or whatever, if you go out there and you create your own business, you definitely, and if it's a business that grows, you're going to get to the point where you need to hire employees. And those employees will now be facing the same challenges that I'm speaking of. I'm hoping that what I said wasn't too controversial here. But again, this is just my thoughts. And it's, it's my thoughts as I come closer to going back into the office and I feel the, I feel a stress again that I haven't felt since I got over COVID. And I, and I, I, w- I would be man enough to tell my audience, I have a fear of what could happen. Not saying it will, but I think we have responsibility to each other's human beings. I think our politicians have responsibilities to us. I think every single human being on this earth, every decent human being has a responsibility to contribute to creating a new norm that benefits the lives of us as human beings. Most of us would say easily that when we leave this place, we don't want to have any regrets. It's one thing to have a regret because of something I did. It's another thing to have a regret because of something that was forced onto me that I had no option but to do to survive. I thank you so much for allowing me to rant and for you for listening to my rant. I ask you again, if you've never shared an episode of 247 Real Talk, to get this one out there, to have people send me messages, whatever the case of their thoughts, to join me in, 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 a, in a brainstorm if necessary to find a way or create a, a brand new body of people or organization or something that works towards improving lives and changing things so that we have a new norm that works for us all or, or, or the largest number of us that it can so that we are no longer in the position to have this happen to us once again and then talk about what we should have done while we watch our, our parents, our husbands, our wives, our daughters, our sons, our grandparents, our mothers, our fathers lie in a refrigerated coffin, refrigerated truck because the bodies are too many and the loss is so much. I hope you've enjoyed listening to my rant and I thank you for giving me the time to do so.
Once again, I want to say very, very, very special thanks to all of my listeners out there. One of the beautiful things of having a podcast is having the ability sometimes to share my thoughts and hoping that my supporters will think about what I've said and enjoy the fact that we have this privilege and ability to share our thoughts and to comment and to make a difference. As always, I'm thanking all of you for supporting this podcast and for making it so successful. I remind you that you can listen to every episode on your favorite podcast app. Please do leave me a message, and if you'd like to do so, you can email me at, at podcast at 247realtalk.net. Let me get that right. That's podcast at 247realtalk.net. I thank you so much again. And until the next time, do take care of yourselves and each other.